G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, love to catch up with Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, and today in Adelaide. Hello, Charles. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Nice to be back. Well, Charles, on Tuesday night, as uh, perhaps many, I could say most, uh, I'm not sure how many Australians tuned in to watch the budget. Uh, I know people are concerned about uh, the nation's economy and the nation's future would have been tuned in. The Treasurer, Joss Frydenberg, delivered the 2019 budget. Tonight, the Leader of the Opposition will present a budget reply. You've had a few thoughts on the budget, the forecasts, the estimates. Uh, What are your overall impressions? Well, it's a big subject, and uh, I think the big picture issue is the $7.1 billion surplus that we are back in the black after 10 years, and that's an amazing accomplishment. And perhaps more importantly is that the forward estimate over the next four years is a $45 billion surplus. And that's, um, that is such a such an important number in terms of the size of the national debt. You know, the, it's a, a huge figure of somewhere in excess of, you know, $360 billion. It's, it's just a massive thing, staggering number. And, and the amount of money it costs to service that debt, you know, is about the size of the health budget. You know, it's a just massive 18% of our total income spent on servicing our debt. So it's a... It's uh, to to be in a position to reduce that and bring that down. Every household, every person who's got a credit card or a mortgage, or a home loan or a car loan or whatever knows what a what a kind of a millstone around your neck debt is. So to be in this position is a tremendous tremendous accomplishment. And Charles. Uh, when we talk, when we talk debt here, Charles, uh, because this is one of the important issues. I think uh, we can apply our Christian understanding of economics too. Uh, that debt is bad. Uh, that being in the black is good. And I wonder whether, if we're talking debt. Uh, because we know in a biblical sense that is not good either. Uh, so when we're talking about making assessments of the sorts of policies that all sides of those parties that will be campaigning for places in our national leadership uh, to perhaps even uh, look at some of those issues and how they are seen through the lens of uh, paying down that huge debt. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this significance of, of looking at the debt? Because I tell you, it's not since uh, it's not since it was a bit of a scare campaign about debt some years ago that, uh, that politicians have been able to even, uh, with any sort of confidence, talk about it. Uh, but uh, it's something we should talk about, I suspect. Oh yes, I mean, I, 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 you know, I wasn't a slavish listener to the whole process, so I might have missed something. But, but it didn't, it didn't feature. You know, all the messaging is the positive messaging, and so you know, you you say the debt word, then uh, it it inc- it sort of increases people's anxiety to even talk about it. And and um, but we must talk about it, and we must talk about it as um, 
as part of what I call the normalization of destructive uh, destructive factors, you know, that because everybody's in debt, because, you know, credit card debt is normal, this kind of language, it can't be wrong because it's normal. Uh, but that is not that's not clear thinking, is it? You know, just because uh, because it's being cultivated in our society that uh, that that debts are just an acceptable part of life. It's a little bit like what are we missing out on because of the huge debt, and uh, it's what we could be benefiting from uh, if we didn't have such huge debt. That's what you're getting at. I, I am getting at that. I'm, I'm also getting at the way in which society goes through these subtle changes. And uh, before you know where you are, the subtle changes uh, are having huge impacts. And, uh, you know, the, the, the debt issue in, in Western society is reflected, is a reflection of the change in the social structure and the way in which the extended family is being deconstructed and people are becoming much more individualized so that... Um, you find yourself in a situation where you know you've got three generations of, of, of the of the same family. They're all paying mortgages on three separate houses, and, and uh, when you add up what they, as a family, as an extended family, are paying in 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 money to the bank, you know, to have that privilege, it's 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 ludicrous. But it's it's deemed normal now. So I kind of think that these are the, you know we now assume that it's normal for everybody to just get out there and 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 do that. Um, but actually, it's not really normal. It's um, it's better that the family can uh, can have a long view, can have a multi generational view, can uh, work together to make sure that it minimises the amount of mortgage that it spends over the generations, uh, as a way of making sure that it's got the capital then to invest in things that are actually productive uh, in in other ways. Um, so. That's my little spin on that. Hmm. Charles, let's jump into the deep end here and talk about some of the policies that will likely be emerging through the election campaign. Uh, those policies and the way they might reflect on the overall debt circumstance that we might find ourselves into uh, in the decades to come, uh, when we talk about policies to do with mining, to do with agriculture, uh, uh, you know, the exports that we have, iron yeah, ore, coal yeah. exports. So these sorts of issues, which are so important for a nation's prosperity, uh, but let me, as I said, throw you into the deep end here. The climate issues, the environmental yeah, issues, yeah. that there is a divide on the different sides uh, of uh, politics, or that maybe some might say there's not as big a divide as there ought to be, but give us your insights into how we look at issues to do with climate change and what that means for a budget for a nation. Well, you, you're talking coal here um, in particular, that, you know, we happen to have an abundance of high-quality coal, and um, there's such a local, uh, you know, an internal national view that by, by environmentalists that coal is bad because it produces uh, carbon uh, in, into the atmosphere. Uh, and we recognise that that's an issue. Uh, but the thing is that... Um, if we cut, so we we have a huge pressure not to have coal-fired power stations, for instance, in Australia. But we've got this mountain of coal in the ground that that we sell to China and other places like that, where they are then conducting huge industrial um, uh, product uh, going on over there, and they're using our coal. And 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 if we didn't have that in our budget, you know, we'd be in a really sorry state if we weren't able to get the 
you know, the foreign currency that we get for the coal that we sell to China and other places, it, there'd be a huge gap. So on the one hand here, uh, we are uh, not allowing coal to be used in Australia for for uh, clean, for power, you know, coal, uh, clean coal, they call it, you know, for electrical pr- product. And we are relying upon um, these uh, so-called green energy uh, types, you know, uh, of, of power generation. But everybody knows that uh, that this is not uh, stable p- uh, base power, and we know that. And uh, you know the recent situation where Victoria was um, was without power, and what they did was they talked to industry to say you're going to have to cut down your use of power so that we can keep the lights on. So they did that, but the the cost of that in one 24-hour period to production was over a billion dollars. And that was, um, you know, by some estimates, um, you can build a coal-fired power station for less than that. Um, That was one day, you know. So the realities here is um, um, there needs to be an honest conversation about the real impacts of, 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 you know, uh, renewable energy. It's, uh, you know, I know that when I put um, um, uh, panels on most, on my roof, uh, I did the I did the numbers, and the, the first five or six years of owning those panels was was actually paying down the the the, the production cost, um, you know, in turn, the energy cost that was just paying down the energy cost that was invested in China to make those panels. So, you know, it's it's not a simple equation. Not the, it's not a magic bullet because you've got windmills out there and because you've got panels on your roof that we've got clean energy and we're, we're solving all the problems. We're not. We're just relocating the problems to places like China where they're spewing out all kinds of carbon into the atmosphere. And, and it, it, we just need an honest conversation. We've got to do something about it, but it needs to be an honest rather than a hyperventilating uh, emotional conversation. Well, interesting when you bring a context like that. Uh, you know, a billion dollars to build a power station, uh, but lose one day of power and uh, an economy can lose a billion dollars. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. as uh, you know, I think that's an obvious argument. Of course, uh, those who are on the climate change bandwagon and uh, wanting to outlaw everything who think that is a progressive move for a nation. Of course, this is uh, uh, this is being proven to be quite regressive, uh, given that, uh, you know, everybody's being asked to give up uh, everything. And even the suggestion yeah. that people will give up eating meat <laughs> into yeah. the future. Uh, yeah. These sorts of things are very, uh, very disturbing. I, I, I wanted to make the observation that I, I noticed that the budget has got c- quite an investment in um, in research and development, but relative to the size of the issues, I think something like six six or nine billion dollars, um, which is which is good, you know, that there's that kind of investment going on. But you, uh, you'd expect more. Uh, I think I'd expect more uh, uh, investment into these sort of critical issues. There already is the development of. Of, um, of ways by which we can extract the carbon from the atmosphere and uh, they can they can suck it out of the atmosphere and they can turn it back into solids that can be then reused in different ways so it, it, it's this, there's a number of places in the world that have developed this technology that's the sort of thing that needs really industrializing you know um, because um, this is the nature of our existence you know nothing you get nothing for nothing and uh, and we're always using resources one way or the other if it's not power it's 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 you know it's these look at these these uh, these rare men uh, rare uh, minerals that uh, that we use like lithium and other things like that these things they are a very finite source and we we do need to use them carefully and a lot of research needs to go into how we can get the absolute absolute maximum use of uh, of finite resources 
Well, debt is important and climate change policies that either side of government take will have an effect on debt into the future. I think we can take that away from this part of our conversation. There's lots of issues to talk about, Charles. Another one that you've been working on and thinking about of recent times is issues to do with family law reform. And while there are some who are in different sides of politics trying to get up some family law reform, it looks like it's doomed. What are your thoughts? Yes, well, the, the Attorney-General, Christian Porter, has been working on the reform of family law because of the fact that it's it's slow, it's expensive to the people that have to use it or feel they have to use it when at the breakdown of a marriage or, or some kind of conflict in respect of uh, inheritances and things like that. So, I mean, at the present moment, the backlog is 20,000 cases before the court. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of people whose lives are in limbo because of the process. So the process needs to be dealt with. But on the one hand, you know, the crossbench senators chose to knock back his reforms and on the other hand, the, the legal profession that makes a lot of money out of this and didn't like what was being offered get, it just resisted. We have to solve these things. What, I suppose what the average punter, people like you and I and the average bloke, he just says, just fix it, you know, just fix it. Just get some kind of solution and don't play politics. This is people's lives. These are families. These are, these are households that are in absolute, you know, the anxiety, the tension, the conflict that's being magnified by a system. It's the sort of thing that just needs fixing. So, um, you know, well, I, I hope somebody's listening to us today in, in politics that says, you're right, we've just got to solve this sort of thing. Well, it seems to me that the breakdown of family is a fast track to poverty, not only for those individuals who are part of the breakdown, but for their communities, uh, really for the nation. It is a creation of chaos, and it's almost chaotic uh, when you mention there's something like a backlog of 20,000 cases before the court. And, uh, Charles, uh, you and I, uh, not uh, blowing any particular trumpet, but just to say that uh, Christians, Christian leaders, churches have been interested in holding families together and uh, there are some very tenuous and vulnerable families around and uh, the need for some level of foundation in those families uh, is likely to still come from being a part of your local church. Uh, what are your thoughts on church's role yeah. in the issues of, of family breakdown and perhaps preventing these things from get, ever getting to the family courts? Yes, well, since I've been in this role of family voice, it's come to me with such force that the family is so vital. The the function of the family, the health of the family is so vital to society uh, and uh, and to all that is good. And and what individualism and what secularism is doing is it's redefining the family. It's almost dispensing with the family and suggesting that, you know, that, that sort of coital relationships are just the kind of thing that you do when it suits you. And if there are children that come from it, well, you know, they've got to make their own way in the world. It's just madness. The church must take the challenge of family much more seriously and must, must uh, sort of hear the scriptures and hear God and do the research to understand what the family really is and how the family operates. This is not time for sort of, uh, sort of Sunday schoolism in, the, in sort of easy solutions. It's vital that we sort this thing out. 
and um, and I, I, frankly, there isn't another there isn't another subgroup in society. Another there isn't another part of civil society that has such a strong commitment to the family, or that should have such a strong commitment as the church. And so, I ask every church leader that's listening to this to to revisit the centrality of the work of the church in building strong families, helping families to understand. That, that this is not just a romantic association. This is a long-term commitment to the generations that come after us and to the ones from whom we have inherited so much. It's just core, foundational to, uh, to the future of our nation. Well, there are those, Charles, who will be looking to the government for some sort of solution here, but uh, clearly the government is not succeeding when there is such a chaotic space in the family law courts. Families are deteriorating in a way that uh, is shocking and disturbing to all of us. Uh, There is this, this, you know, we need to look to God, uh, and uh, God's mechanism for building strong families is clearly coming back to his word. Uh, but what happens in the pastoral oversight of a family too, which comes through uh, what is one of the most beautiful things about a local church environment, where you have uh, this capacity to be able to rub shoulders with others who are doing family together, working yeah. through issues, working through challenges. Because if you don't work through the challenges, if you don't get on top of the problems, you'll find yourself in the family court. And as you say, there's such a need for reform Mm. and a backlog of 20,000 cases, and it's not going to solve your problem. It's going to put you more deeply into your problem because that, as I say, fast-track to poverty, fast-track to chaos, not only for your own family, but uh, fast-track to chaos for the nation. Uh, yes, I know you, we've got a time limit, but uh, uh, a man that I re- deeply respect, a, a real entrepreneur down here in South Australia, he made the observation last night that when he reflected on his father, one of the things that his father modelled was that he took responsibility for what was happening in his world, and particularly in his domestic world. He didn't blame the problems of the family on somebody else. If there was something that needed fixing, he knew that he had had a role in fixing it. And so this is part of the culture that we have to address, that, you know, the government will fix it, or some people bring that attitude into the church and sort of say, well, my kids are out of control, the church must fix them. No, 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 no. The flesh and blood relationship is the primary relationship. If there's an issue that needs addressing in the family, the flesh and blood must be the first people to address it. And, of course, those people who have particular authority in the family are the parents and the fathers particularly. Full of great wisdom, as usual. Charles Newington, uh, love your insights. Let me point people to the Family Voice Australia website, familyvoice.org.au, And uh, there are tremendous articles appearing on your website, uh, articles that are informative and articles that are encouraging for families. And uh, in all of these deeper and uh, even political areas that you're able to bring such tremendous insight, Charles, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us once again today on 2020. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.